think the very next question on our lips would be, okay, well, if that's why, when's it going to end? And how's, how's it going to be made right? I know that's for me. When I think about the various things going on for me in my life, past, present, if I got the fully why, I don't know if I'd be satisfied. I think I'd want to know next, okay, when's it going to end? And how are you going to make it right? And that is the question that Jesus deals with today. Who will do something about the brokenness in our world? Who will bring an end to this suffering? Will there be justice in the end? And we're going to look together. We're going to read from Matthew 13. It's going to come up on the screen, or you can read it in your Bibles. We're going to start in verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, don't, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did all the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them together in bundles to be burned, and then gather the weeds and bring them into my barn. From verse 36, we drop down. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us this parable of the weeds in the fields. He answered, the one who sowed the, seed, the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of God's kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will weed out of God's kingdom, sorry, his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will be thrown, sorry, they will be, they, they will throw them into the blazing furnace and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Okay, we're going to get to it, all right? We're going to get to it. At the beginning of this parable, we're introduced to a dilemma, an enemy, a good seed, and a bad seed. A man has been sowing in a field, yet at night the enemy comes and sows weeds. So this is every gardener's worst nightmare. But now imagine for yourself, put yourself in their shoes. Gardens aren't just for looking at, but this is in an agricultural society, so where there are weeds among the wheat, this is a problem. This isn't just there because, you know, they only garden twice a year and the weeds have come up. This is actually a really big problem because it's probably going to affect how much food they have and how much their, how, how much food their household also has. And it's not just there, like I said, through laziness, but it's there because somebody's plotted against them. Weeds are annoying at the best of times, aren't they? 
And I don't do much gardening, but somebody's plotted against them and actually planted the weeds in the garden. This is a big consequence, and for Jesus' hearers, it's not just annoying, but it, it's serious. So the, owner of the, so the owner of the field comes out, and the servants basically are saying, where has it all gone wrong? Sir, didn't you sow good seed in the field? Where have all the weeds come from? Now, if you're here asking that same question, where did the weeds come from? It's really, it's like them saying, where has it all gone wrong? You see that? It's like, where, where has this all come from? Like, where's this brokenness around me come from? Where's this evil come from? And if you're here and you're asking that question yourself, why is the world such a mess? If you've ever asked that question, I'm sure you have, you maybe agree more with a biblical narrative, with a Christian worldview than you actually might think. Because the Bible paints this picture and spells out clearly that everything in the world has been distorted, that it is broken, it's been corrupted. And the world as we know it, well, it, it, it is. It's utterly broken. And it comes through in many different ways. It shows itself even in our personal relationships. When you think about people you love, often it's easy to hurt one another, isn't it? And half the time, sometimes we, we just don't intend to, but, but it just happens. We see it, that kind of big picture within our politics. People who are, are there to serve often end up making self-serving decisions. And it's quite evident. And, and it, the whole thing just feels like the system's broken. It feels like a mess. Some of you might be feeling like that as you see headlines. It shows up in our natural world. It shows up in the actual, there's natural disasters. It feels like the world is fractured. And the Bible talks about a moaning and a groaning and a day that's going to come where things will be restored. But for now, often we see just, even in the fabric of the world we live in, it feels very broken. And then we even experience it in our bodies. We experience pain. Sometimes our bodies don't work. We experience, we get sick. We experience life-threatening illnesses. And then there's an even more sinister side. And the more sinister side would be, sometimes we see it's very clear that people actively make choices to hurt others. They actively choose to take what's there, not theirs. There is murder in this world. There is rape in this world. There is abuse in this world. And there's... There's way more, isn't there? Where did all the weeds come from? Where's all the mess come from? First thing I want you to see is that evil has a source. And it's important that you need to know that as Christians, we believe that the mess in this world, it's not just an unfortunate part of life. It's not just kind of this is just how it is, but it actually has an origin. And Jesus points to the enemy. Did you see that in the, in the text as we read it? He points to the one who stands behind all of evil, all pain, all suffering. And it's not that he's like pulling the strings like he's some puppet master. He's not that powerful. But he, he is the origin of it all. He's the first one to challenge God's loving authority. And that is where everything spiraled out of control. He's called the devil. He's called our accuser. And he's a liar. And he sows weeds among the wheat. So that's the dilemma in the enemy. Next, we're introduced to this idea of a good seed and a bad seed. And the bad seed of the weeds quite, is quite obvious. Um, and it's clear that the weeds are going to be just as present in the world as the good seed. And the owner's servants think, well, we just act swiftly. We'll just go and pull them up. We'll just go, we'll just go and get on with it. But the owner knew better. He said to pull up the, the weeds would also pull up the wheat. And I don't want you to do that. 
But he says there is another way. Instead, we're going to wait. Instead, he says, let them grow together. Let them grow together, and at the very end, they will be separated. He says, patience. The weeds then will be bundled together and burned, but the wheat will be brought into my barn. Then Jesus steps back from the crowds. So he's with the crowds, and he steps back, and now he goes into the house, and he goes into the house with his disciples, and these are the people who, who he knows better. These are his, his closest followers. And as he goes into the house, he gives them this explanation. And gosh, this is where we just see Jesus at his most direct. And there's no way around it. He says, the good seeds are the people of the kingdom. He says, the field is the world. He says, the weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy is the devil. And the harvest time is at the end of the age. And the end, at the very end of time, there will be a judgment. And at that judgment, there will be a weeding out of God's kingdom everything that causes sin and evil. Then they will be thrown into a fire. There will be weeping. There will be gnashing of teeth. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. But they will not be with them. Listen, if there was ever, to, ever a time that we wish Jesus maybe wasn't quite so clear, uh, for me it would be now. And as I have prepared this, I kind of know what some of what you're thinking and feeling because as I stand up here and just speak this out, I feel it too. I have friends who don't know Jesus. I have family who aren't around anymore who I don't know where they stood with God. And I feel this just like you feel this. But here's a key thing. We silence certain parts of Jesus' message, message at our own cost. We can't cherry-pick the bits he said that we like from the bits he said that maybe sometimes just don't sit right with us. We can't do that. If Jesus is truth embodied, the way, the truth, and the life, that's how he described himself. And we need to take seriously the things he said that we find a real comfort, that we think, oh, I just want to hold on to that. And we need to take seriously the things he said that we find really challenging. And we need to grapple with them. And that's some of what we're doing uh, here this morning. Here's what we find hard. Let me just spell it out. Many people, though they have a chance to recognize who God is, people we know and love, people we don't, around the world, many people, though they have a chance to recognize who God is, will just reject him, continually reject him. They will not accept the gift of life and love that he has bought for them at the cross. They will hold him constantly at bay. They will reject him until the very end. And Jesus says very clearly, there are consequences for that. His desire is that none would perish. That never changes. That many would come to know him. But he's clear here, some will just ignore me forever. They will reject the gift of salvation. And there are real consequences for that. And I think when we read this stuff, for us and for others, and this is what I've noticed, there are two common responses. And the first response is this. It can be to try and downplay. Okay? And this, I think, is a trap that we don't really want to fall into. What we do, we downplay, and I think we do it for this reason. It feels a bit old school. It feels a bit hellfire, brimstone, even if we don't really even know what all of those kind of words mean. We're like, it just feels like I just want to distance myself from that. And we try and find a ways around these hard texts. I think we do that sometimes because we've seen others do things in a way that lacks love and humility. 
and we think, that's not right. Like, no one ever celebrated these ideas. These have always been hard ideas, but we wanted to speak with love and truthfulness. So if when we see others doing it in a way that lacks humility and love, we think, no, if they're there, then I want to be all the way over here. But we can't fall into the trap of ignoring it altogether. Because Jesus was really clear. He was really clear himself about the consequences of rejecting him. But there's a better option. And this, I want to say, should be our better, is a better response. And it's loving urgency. The better response is not to change the message, but instead let the consequences fuel your urgency to live and speak for Jesus in a world where many people do not yet know him. And to speak with a humility and a love that acknowledges that we are not superior, that we are no better, but instead it just acknowledges that anything good in and of our lives has come from God's love and grace, his work in us, and nothing else. So we do it from a posture of humility, not a posture of, I just need to tell you how it is. But we still do speak the truth. Where Jesus doesn't pull his punches, we don't pull them either. So where Jesus is just really honest, we, with love and humility, are really honest too. And I think that's a better response. I think it's a better response, not just because it takes Jesus' words seriously, which we always want to do, but I also think it's a better response because it's actually the, it's our only response when we think about that dilemma we have of wanting God to bring justice and make things right in the world. Because for God to rid the world of evil, it means God needs to judge and if we're trying to, if we try and get rid of the idea that God needs to judge the world, then actually we also get rid of the idea that justice is going to be brought in the world. And, and that doesn't sit right with us either, because as I said at the start, we're often like, God, I, I want you to bring justice. I, I want you to make things right. I see things aren't right, and I think that needs to be made right. So if that needs to be made right, we can't separate God's justice from his, judge, from his judgment. We need his justice. Because at the heart of this parable, although it talks about individual consequences, it's not actually, that's not the heart of it. The heart of this message is how God's going to bring his justice in the world. And if we find that hard, if we find this idea of God's justice hard, I think we find it hard because we know it has consequences for everyone, not just for some. So the idea that you can find uh, advocates that would say, yes, people who, who rape, who murder, who kill, they should meet, they, they should experience God's justice. Like, that's, you know, you, you don't have to, like, they, the fact that they should experience justice and be judged, it's like, yeah, most people would agree with that. But hang on a minute, we're not just talking about that. We're also talking about the fact that the small injustices of life when we say, when we find God's the idea of God's justice really difficult, and when we kind of wish that, you know, the normal people in life, who aren't all the way over on that side of the spectrum, but a bit more in the middle, can't they just escape it? What we're really saying is the small injustices of life don't really matter. Like the small things, like surely they can be glossed over. The big things, no way. Like they need to be made right, but the small things... Like, do they really matter? And the thing with God is that his justice 
is more far-reaching than some of us even like to think about. I think this idea actually is also quite revealing because a theology that seeks to erase the idea of God's judgment and justice, I think it can only really be birthed in a comfortable and safe place, a place that's largely void of suffering, largely void of the harsh realities that many people in this world live with. There's a guy, Miroslav Volf, um, and he's a theologian, he's a professor at Yale, um, so very big, important university in the States. And he puts it like this, it's a, it's, a, it's a long quote, but I think it's helpful. He says, it's only the biblical doctrine of divine justice that frees us to love our enemies. Only if God promises to justly judge can I lay down my weapons. If I know one greater than myself judges and punishes, then I can leave vengeance to him. I need not seek it on my own terms. I can love my enemies only because I know justice will come. The non-Western world's longing for justice is not hatred or evil. It's simply what Westerners have, take for granted, and then criticize others for desiring. And that just like hit me square in the face. Because sometimes when I think about the justice of God and, and I think about it in a sense of, oh, but it is, like, it's a bit harsh. And sometimes when you're not, when you don't fully think it through, it's easy to see it that way. And hang on a minute, I live in such a privileged place. I haven't experienced much of what many people around the world have experienced. And I take it for granted. Basically, the more unjust the society you live in, the more you will feel the need for God's justice. I also think the more acutely you feel the need for God to, for God to right wrongs probably also depends on some of your life experience. Um, Beth, my wife, um, when, she, when we first got married, she volunteered for a charity. And this charity went and did things uh, to serve, show love and compassion to the working women in Leeds. And she would do it, she would go out on a night and she would take food and she would take kind of um, the things that they would need. And it's basically like care packages. And she would do that late into the night. She would do it once a week. It's when she was doing a master's. She'd often get home at half past 12, one o'clock. And she did it regularly. And then uh, one morning after, so I hadn't seen her she, when she had come in. I was already fast asleep. One morning after, she gets a phone call. And she gets a phone call because one of the girls that night that she had been out, had been killed and actually murdered. And it turns out that Beth was one of, the, one of two people to last see her alive, to last speak with her and to give her the, thing, the food and the things that they showed her love with by giving her. And uh, that meant Beth needed to go to court many times, meant had to hear the details of this case, what happened to this young girl. And... Um, there is a, when she speaks about it now, uh, she says, as I sat there and just had to listen to it all, it was one of the very first times that I had fully felt the need for God's divine justice to be brought. And she said this, she said, if God isn't a God of justice, then he's really no God at all. A God who would just sweep under the carpet what I just heard in that courtroom happened to this girl. A God who would just say, no, like I'm not going to deal with it, would be no God at all. And I think it's really, really important that from whatever 
stage of life we're in, whatever we've experienced, that we try to put ourselves in the shoes of others when we think about this. But as I say that, I also know that there is hope today because he is a God of justice, isn't it? That is what we've just heard. He is going to bring justice. He doesn't sweep things under the carpet. He sees things, he sees all, he knows all, and he promises to deal with it. And I think the fact that he does, it is a comfort to us. We can take comfort in it. It also does challenge us. I'll come on to that in a moment. The comfort. God's justice is perfect. That should comfort you. It should comfort you because you can know that every little injustice you feel in this life, no matter how big or small, every time that you have been wronged, every time that you have been taken advantage of or even abused, every evil you've seen at work in the world, so things that are personal, things you see at work in the world, everything that's ever grieved your heart, one day will be made right. In the end, no one is getting away with anything. And there may be times where you question, but God, how long? How long are you going to let this go on for? Or God, why? Or or when is this going to stop? Or how are you even going to make this right? But this parable tells us to be patient. It tells us that even though it may seem like sometimes the strong will crush the weak, even though it seems like Corrupt, the corruption is just rife and people are just getting away with things left, right and centre and other people are paying the cost even though that is sometimes how it will seem and how it feels one day every score is going to get settled though for now the weeds grow with the wheat one day justice will come you need to know that Some of you need to hear, some of you have probably experienced pains in this life and it feels like it's almost gone unnoticed. It feels like the world and even some of the people around you, people closest to you, have kind of just moved on. And for you, if you're honest, it's still a a scar or it's even still a wound. And where the world would say to you, well, it's it's just a part of life. Some get a better hand than others. God does not say that to you. God says to us here, nothing gets past me. No one is getting away with anything. Others of you may actually be different. You may feel like, okay, God's going to bring his justice, but I don't really want to wait for that myself. I want to I bring it myself. And I, if I'm really honest, this is naturally how I'm wired. Like, there were times as a child when I would just, things, injustices, and many of them were probably small, but even though they're small, when you're young, they feel really big to you. And I would like stew over them. I'd like play them over in my mind. I'd be like, how am I going to get my own back? And, and this is something that, if I'm honest, God has worked on me over a number of years. It is naturally how I'm wired, but he's been, he's been dealing with that in my life. Because where my, what, my idea of justice is actually just more of an idea of revenge. And it's actually more self-serving. It's actually very warped. That, but I need to trust that God's justice is actually perfect. And some of you here, I reckon, are probably a bit more like me. You might spend time playing things over in your mind. Even if you think, I would never actually actively go and get my own back in that way. You like kind of thinking about it. It's, it's a bit self-serving and you play it over in your mind. And I just want to say to you today that 
it's no good for you. It doesn't do any good in your, for, your, for your mind or your heart. When I was uh, 18, um, my mum got attacked. So my mum got attacked. It was on her way to work. And I found this out when I came home from school and they sat me down on the sofa, both mum and dad, and said, we need to tell you something that happened today. And I remember weeks and months of like stewing over what I would do if I found this guy. He got a very, very short punishment, very short. And I thought, if I see this guy, because I actually knew the guy's name, if I see this guy out and about, this is what I would do. And it just did something in my heart that was no good. It was no good for me. It was no good for me, and it was no good for the people around me. And the thing that brought freedom wasn't me kind of somehow avenging like what had happened to my mom. It wasn't me fighting for my family's honor or however I pictured it in my mind. It was trusting that God's justice is more far-reaching and more perfect than mine ever could be. And I can't bring something on his behalf. Because if I do, then it will be actually very damaging. But I need to entrust it to God. And it actually meant that I, I was able to walk a road of towards forgiveness rather than holding on to something and letting it cause bitterness in my heart. And for some of you, that might be the application today. You might have been carrying around small, or some of you might have been carrying around some very big injustices. And today is a day when you lay them down and you say, God, I'm trusting that one day you are going to deal with this in the most perfect way. So I don't need to, I don't need to go about bringing my own now. I need to trust it with you. And for you, God's justice should be a comfort. You can rest in the knowledge that his justice is perfect. But it also does challenge us. It challenges us because God's justice is indiscriminate. It's far-reaching. It doesn't choose between, I'm going to sort this out, but I'm going to leave these things. God's justice is perfect, and it is across the board. I think often, if I'm honest... I want justice, we want justice, but we want it on our own terms. And our society often wants justice. You'll hear about that a lot. It's actually, you know, the idea of justice, social justice, all these different... But actually, does it want God's justice? I'm not sure it always does. And I know this because our generation, people are quick to come and say to me, if God was real rich, your God, the God you believed in, then he would have sorted this out. If he was powerful, then he would have done this. He would have done this, or that wouldn't be the way. He would have made that right. And they think, if he was powerful, then he would have done those things. And then Jesus, in these Gospels, he outlines how he's going to bring perfect justice once and for all. And people go, that sounds a bit much. So he's either doing too little, or he's doing way too much. He's either too lax, or he's way too harsh. And as I read those words I did earlier, I know that that is put people's responses. That is just too harsh. But that is what it means for the perfect God to bring perfect justice. We want it often, but we often want it on our own terms. So our desires for justice to come, for someone to deal with the evils of this world, can leave us feeling conflicted because we're aware that Evil isn't like some just abstract thing that's out there. It actually, if you trace it to its source, it's people 
It's the human heart is where it often comes from. You, the, root of the, set, the root of the brokenness in our world is human selfishness most often, isn't it? And that means that not just evil gets dealt with, but people get dealt with. And I, like I said, I'm living proof that this is true. I want God's justice to be brought you know, quickly and, and, and thoroughly. But out there, when I, when, I, when I harm people, when I, when I offend people, when I get stuff wrong, which I do all the time, I want, it, I want it to be brought slowly and painlessly in here when it's me. Do you see what I mean? It deals with all of us. And this leaves us in a bit of a funny position because we want God to just deal with everything. But what does it mean if that, if that affects people, people we love, if that affects us, ourselves? We have this desire for justice. Justice is coming. Jesus is very clear of it. But it's also more far-reaching than we'd ever sometimes like to imagine. So what do we do? There is a reckoning day coming. How do you get on the right side of God's justice? Because ultimately it is coming. You, don't, you can't earn your way there. You can't go, this, these are the things I've done that have hurt people. These are the things that are done that are wrong. So I'm going to do X amount of better things, good things. And there somehow I'll balance the scales of God's justice. It just doesn't work like that. But there is a way. It's not too late. Did you catch the very last line of the parable? Whoever has ears, let them hear. How do you get on the right side of God's justice? You trust in the storyteller. You trust in the one who is telling this parable. It's Jesus himself. And Jesus at the cross shows us perfect justice and complete compassion mingled together in a way that we have never seen before. Perfect justice and complete compassion. Jesus satisfies God's justice on our behalf. So this means that at the cross, instead of you getting what you deserve, Jesus gets what you deserve. And this means that as you look forward to this day of judgment, this day where justice is brought, you're not looking forward to it in fear, with anxiety, but you can actually look forward to it with real gratitude, knowing that, gosh, because I am stood behind Jesus, because I am trusting in what he's done, as God's perfect justice comes towards me, it's like Jesus steps in front of it. He soaks it up on your behalf. As you trust in him, as you say, I am on your side, I'm not trusting in myself because I know that I'm broken, I know I've got it wrong, I'm trusting in you, Jesus. As you do that, you do not fear as you look forward. You can actually eagerly await the day where God is going to make all things right. Because when he looks at you, he doesn't see your mess. He sees Jesus' righteousness. So as we finish, we started with this question. Who will deal with the pain and suffering and evils we see around us in this world? Who will right the wrongs in this life? Who will bring justice once and for all? Jesus says, look to me. He says, I've done it. He says, I've started it. I've done it at the cross. I've actually completed it at the cross. He said, it is finished. Jesus looks all evil in the face, the one who knew no evil, and said, I'm going to look it in the face and deal with it for you. But he says, for now, the wheat will grow with the weeds. 
Do not be overwhelmed by the weeds. Wait patiently knowing that one day you're going to see the full effect of what I did at the cross. You are going to see it come in its complete fullness. Justice is going to be brought in a way and every wrong is going to be made right. But until that day, hold on to me. Wait patiently. Love me. Tell me with tell people about me with loving urgency because one day justice is coming. There will be a harvest and you will see it and it will be beautiful. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that um, you invite us to come to yourself. You invite us to come to you. And though the words, Lord, that I've spoken today, though it feels at times heavy, Lord, I thank you that you do not avoid the pains of this world, that you are a God who promises to once and for all deal with the things we find most difficult in this life. Lord, I thank you. I pray that you would... um, This has been a, a sobering moment Lord, as we've heard you clearly, and I I pray now that you would use that for your goods, Lord, that you would use that, you would um, use us to be people who share with loving urgency the gift of life that is on offer. And Lord, where people around us say, but how, how will this ever be made right, or this happened to me and this isn't right, Lord, would we be people who say, yeah, you're right, it isn't. But let me tell you about the one who's going to make everything right. You watch movies about people, superheroes coming to save the day. It is not that simple. But let me tell you, there is somebody who is going to make every wrong right. And it's not a fictional story. But instead, it is the author of history. And he promises to fight on your behalf. He promises to come alongside you. To draw you into his barn forever if you would trust in him. Lord, help us to trust in you. Give us courage to endure the weeds of this life, the brokenness we see around us, with a hopeful anticipation. In your name we pray. Amen.